there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. By the way, K-Cups come in three sizes, single, double, and triple shots, or roughly one minute, five minutes, or 10 minutes in length. So if you don't have time to throw back an entire caffeinated career conversation, these K-Cup mini episodes of T4C can give you a quick caffeinated fix, whether you're on the go or you only have a few minutes to binge. So grab your mug and take a chug, because it's time for a caffeinated career triple shot K-Cup with my guest, Tracy Allen. So I was thinking maybe we should start out our caffeinated chat here today talking about the coffee value chain. Mm-hmm. How many links are there in it in terms so of producer yeah. to cup? When we started this, like you said, a dozen years ago, there were about nine links in the value chain from the time that the farmer picks the coffee and hands it off till you get it in your cup. And there can be more because it's depending on how the country's governed. And most of the producing countries have a national association of coffee. That's just part of their how their politics work. And their idea is really to empower the farmer to produce more quantity. And then if there's a quality component, that's a bonus. But also how coffee's bought and sold. And so, unfortunately, there are things that we just typically, and with the stroke of a pen, call corruption. But let's just say there some countries are softer on how coffee is traded than others. But as a rule, it's somewhere between seven and nine links in the value chain. But so the producer will pick his coffee. And then in our interest, for it to be high quality coffee, like specialty, we like to see him get it to what they call a washing station within 20 hours, which is not always easy based on logistics. You know, it could be in Indonesia or someplace like that where it has to be on a boat and then a truck or whatever to get where it gets washed. But once you pick that coffee, the clock starts ticking. So the washing station, if they're going to wash it or just a sorting station or a drying station in East Africa, there's not as many washing stations. So things like processing, let's just call it processing in general, could have a couple different touch points in it. So that's from the time the copper producer picks it, they could go through honey processing or natural processing, semi-washed, washed, all those kinds of things, which will decide how many actual links there are there. So there's a little flexibility, but it could be four or five links just in that part alone before it's even in the bag. And to be honest with you, lower quality coffee doesn't even go into the actual bag that we're thinking of. It goes into a super sack that's just like a great big grocery bag that fits on a pallet and it has handles on it and they pick it up with a forklift or they move it on the pallet. So that's kind of the first half, let's call it the touch points. And from there, it will go to a warehouse for an exporter, most likely. An exporter will have copies that they'll offer to importers. So between that exporter, you've just added another link. You have to have logistics, which means like a shipping company is somebody like Maersk or someone like that to actually ship. And then the receiving end will have the importer. So now we're up to around eight. <laughs> we could be eight links right there. Depends. The roaster would buy it and then the customer obviously would get it from the retailer. So the processing itself 
we've narrowed down a lot on the front end from, like I say, when we started it, because it was a lot more, there's usually more association with one or two types of processing at origin. So that takes you down from four or five links to two or three links. So that's where you cut that down to nine. Unfortunately, or fortunately, it's not always the quickest. And I think one of the things is the especially program will have a timeline for how that works. And what we like to do is make sure that everyone meets the timeline. But there's pieces in that production piece that are things like we call them coyotes, for instance, in Honduras. There are people that just go door to door. And instead of the farmer having to go through all those links, they'll offer them not pennies, but let's say dimes or even 50 cents maybe on a dollar and take the coffee right then. And then the farmer doesn't have to leave his house, doesn't have to make the trek, doesn't have to go through all those processes and worry about selling their coffee, but they get really taken advantage of price-wise. Like I say, not every country allows that. So in that case, the farmer goes through one. We don't want that either. So having educated staff at the washing mills and things like that are very important. So we help them find places that are authentic to take their coffee, to process it, and then they take possession of it back. And then they sell it to the buyers that we would introduce them to. So we narrowed it down to about three links before the shipping, which is about five or six all in. Mm, okay. Lots of math in there because it's 50 countries. You know, if we were talking country by country, I could get more specific. But needless to say, we're cut it in half and sometimes in thirds. So you said there are 50 coffee producing countries in the world? Actively. Uh-huh. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So interesting that the United States is not one of them. They are. Oh, That's they right. are. So, Where yeah, do we so grow we coffee? Hawaii. And now- Oh, yeah, then, of course, um, Hawaii. Yeah. The Baja of California, they're having some- about three years out now, they've been producing coffee. Not really at scale, but it looks like it's coming on. Okay, great. Well, how big is the specialty coffee industry here in the U.S.? And perhaps we should define that for us. What's the opposite of a specialty industry? Is it the Kirkland mega containers <laughs> of like Supremo or whatever the generic yeah. coffee is, the Colombian? And are Starbucks and Pete's considered specialty? So to answer your question, Starbucks and Pete's, Starbucks is obviously independent. Pete's is a JV company now. And, and JV is a company that's from Europe and they're buying a lot of smaller coffee companies and put them together to compete with Starbucks. So the whole nexus of why specialty was we wanted to create about 30 years ago, a group of people got together and wanted to create a benchmarking system for what's good coffee and what's bad coffee, because there was such a bias in the question. Right. And so we needed to create a set of measurables, which has been a work in progress now for about 30 years and how to score it and what characteristics to score it on. And all those things that come into play. But if you ask someone on the street, what is specialty coffee? They're going to say, oh, you know, it scores 80 and above. That's a basic answer. But it's really about social and economic, environmental, all those kinds of impacts, not just the score, but really, you know, what you're doing to support the farmer. And is there transparency? The answer to the second part of your question is, I don't know that Starbucks uses that benchmarking system to make their buying decisions, but they do a lot of good at Origin. And I, I feel the same way about Pete's too. I'm not sure that they're, I've seen them in industry events. And so I don't know day to day inside how much they're doing there. A lot of those roast profiles are based on the fact that they can't really 
create those single origin, small lots, micro lots, nano lots, the things that we do where you literally look at a picture of the farmer while you're drinking his coffee. It's because of scale. And so their consistency often comes from how they roast and roasting consistently to meet their target demographic and how they feel best represents their brand. But their members, I'll say this, they are members of the specialty coffee organization. They don't really police, you know, the membership and say that everyone does X, Y, and Z. So they've got audited and they are specialty coffee providers. But it's just kind of hard to tell, but they do pay and they do take on information and they do, I think the best that they can at scale in the U S right now, especially is about a $48 billion industry. And you know, it's growing like crazy. Like I mentioned earlier, over 30% of consumers are 18 and above. So they're starting younger. They're starting closer to 15. Now it looks like the push is coming on and the 15s are drinking cold coffee. So the specialty industry is just almost, I don't want to say infancy, even though we've been around for 30 years, but it's an exciting time in there. And, and it's, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. It's really taken on the soft drinks and the energy drinks and all those things quite well. Thanks for tuning in to this K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. If you want to listen to our entire caffeinated career conversation, please check out the show notes for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.